What's up, y'all? This is Kat Jones, your host. Today is January 18th, 2020. I promise I can't get you sick from here, and this is Queer All Year. Hey everyone, what's up? This is Kat Jones, and in case you didn't listen to our intro with our awesome theme song, So What Are You Doing? This is Queer All Year for January 18th, 2020. My voice sounds insane, probably, I'm not sure. And I'm here with my brother and sound producer, Mick G. It's lit! Well, don't tell anyone why it's lit, I guess. So, anyway, moving on. We're going to talk about our social media accounts real quick, like we always do. You should be on our Facebook page, Queer All Year. If you're not, I don't know what you're doing. You'll see some really weird photos and videos and stuff out there of us recording. You'll probably get some weird posts from me just when my voice gets really bad, and I think it's hilarious, and we'll have to take a video of that. Uh, If you want more interaction... You should join our group, Queer All Year Fam, because you're our fam. And I think the group is going to be, as McGee says, lit pretty soon. So that should be good. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and any other social media accounts that McGee knows about and our secret behind-the-scenes producers know about that I, I don't know social media, but I know our name out there is queer all year pod on everything another thing that is queer all year pod is patreon.com slash queer all year pod and you know what we have we have our very first patreon and it is our cousin Alyssa. we love Alyssa, and i we love that Alyssa listens to the show thanks Alyssa. she's our favorite cousin uh to all our other cousins listening, you are also our favorite cousins, but you did not donate to us. So Alyssa is our favorite cousin, and Alyssa's smarter than both of us combined and an awesome person, and we are very, very grateful that she would even consider giving us money. And if she's so smart and she donated us, obviously it's going to be a great show, you know. Yeah. She's very good insights on things like that. Exactly. So... You know, you join the group, you get to talk to her, you get smarter, and then you donate to us. Yeah? That that sounds like a good timeline. Yeah? Let's move on. Uh, the best way <laughs> that you can help us out other than listening to Alyssa and being smart and giving us money is to subscribe and share and rate our podcast. If you subscribe, you will get the automatic downloads and you won't have to worry about going out every day and being like oh shoot I forgot to download it or whatever and what you can do with that time when you're not forgetting to download it you can remember to rate us wherever you're listening give us a five star rating if you could we'd really appreciate it Um, it helps bump us up in the rankings on Apple and that gets us seen more it gets more people into the queer history vibe thing we've got going on and it just really helps to bring us to more people and wouldn't you love for us to be around more people because then you get to meet more people and people are good let's move on to a story guys in the 90s there was a show called friends and i have a confession i have never seen friends not a single episode not even eh, it's 
3 a.m. and I can't sleep because I have some weird hereditary insomnia disorder and I'm developing bipolar symptoms that are being misdiagnosed as depression and Friends is on TV, so I'm just going to make a family-sized bowl of mashed potatoes and watch it until I pass out an hour before I have to get up for school. I imagine this show was a pretty big deal, though, because everyone knows everything about it. So... In 1966, the 11th episode of the second season of Friends, which is labeled The One with the Lesbian Wedding, I'm not sure if that's yikes or not, airs for the first time. There was some controversy and pushback against the episode, obviously, but there actually wasn't as much as they thought there was going to be, and that is, I'll tell you why in a little bit. So in the episode, Ross's ex-wife Carol and Carol's girlfriend, Susan. Carol and Susan get married. When Carol's parents reject the idea of the wedding and refuse to attend it, uh, Ross is the one who has to tell his ex-wife that she should live authentically with her real family, which is her chosen family, the family who's there at the wedding, and go ahead with the ceremony and live authentically. And so she does, and that is a thing we say a lot in the queer community now, is if your family rejects you, I'm your family now. I'll also talk about that later. So while I was researching this, I learned that Monica is Ross's sister, I guess. So yeah, this was actually the second gay marriage on a sitcom. Somehow, Roseanne beat them to the punch by five weeks, and... That is why Friends didn't get as much pushback, because Roseanne was already getting pushback. Uh, depending on how long this episode goes, I might tell our younger listeners about the show and how we used to not know that Roseanne Barr was going to basically be married to scandals and tabloids, but we'll see. Okay, back to the episode, though. So, Candace Gingrich, I'm not going to say this name right, Candace Gingrich a massively influential LGBT rights activist with the Human Rights Campaign, guest starred as the minister. And guess what? She is apparently the half-sister of Newt Gingrich, who is... Uh, McGee and I kind of agree that he's a terrible person, but we don't know why. We need to do a little more research, but that's just how we feel about him inside for some reason. We must have heard something that touched our psyche and... We have to go deep into whatever our brains have blocked. I, um, I just, I'm concerned about anyone whose name is Newt who gets into politics. Because how do you do that with that name? That's some money right there. Anyway, Candace's half brother, Newt Gingrich. He's 20 years older than she is, and 20 years older than his polit- political career should have lasted. Yeah, so that's that's an episode of Friends. Moving on. So, this past two years ago, we actually added some new history. And this is, I'm going to say, true crime and a trigger warning for serial murder. If you don't want to hear that, skip ahead to the 17-minute mark, and that's the end of the serial killer bit. So on this day in history... A Canadian serial killer was finally caught, and I will tell you his name and a bit of his story in a moment, but he is not the important part of this story. Here are the names and stories of his victims. I got this information from a February 5th, 
2019 BBC article titled, Killer's Name, I'll say later, Who Were Toronto Serial Killers Victims? I can't find an author's name, so if you know it, please send it my way so I can properly cite and credit them. Because it was very hard to find an article that just listed their names. And I I found that just, as a true crime nut, as I am, I found that not cool. I should say that this this combines my two my two lanes, which are history and true crime. So I'm not gonna be all funny about this like some true crime stuff is. This is history. This isn't funny. Don't expect that from me, but I'm also not gonna be a bummer for you guys, but it's a bummer. So sorry. So this killer killed eight victims all in the gay village in Toronto and these are their names and I have looked up the pronunciations and I'm very sorry if I say them wrong but I honestly I tried very hard McGee will tell you that I played these names over and over to ad nauseum pretty much okay so the first victim Skandarach Navaratnam Skandarach was 40 years old and the first victim He moved to Canada from Sri Lanka as a refugee and was well-loved in Toronto's gay village. He was apparently unbeatable at Scrabble. I wish he could have met and played with our dad's side of the family because those Scrabble games go on for days. He disappeared in September 2010, leaving his new puppy abandoned in his apartment. His bracelet was found at the home of the killer as a trophy, of course. Uh, Skandarash, w- I'm sorry guys, Skandarash had known the killer for almost 10 years and actually dated him. Abdul Basir Faisi was 42 and disappeared in December 2010. He was married and had two children. His disappearance initially wasn't tied to the other disappearances from the gay village because of his closeted life. His wife said in a sentencing for the killer, that she struggles to support her family. Mashid Kehan Mash, Mashid Kehan Mashid also lived two separate lives. 58 years old with a wife and children, he was also a regular at several bars in the village and owned an apartment there. He was an Afghan immigrant and the youngest of, quote, many siblings. He was reported missing in 2012. Police believe he was killed around October 18, 2012. Sarush Mahmoud, I'm sorry. Sarush Mahmoudi. Sarush was a refugee from Iran and, at age 50, was reported missing by his wife. In her statement to the court, she called him her soulmate. He went missing in August of 2015. Karushna was the youngest victim at 37 years old. He came to Canada in 2010 with a group of 500 Sri Lankan asylum seekers. His refugee claim was denied and he was ordered to be deported. Because of this, he was not reported missing because his family and police believed he was in hiding. He had no known ties to the village, so it's unknown how he met the killer. He was killed in January 2016. Dean Lissowick. Dean was never reported missing. He was a 47-year-old, mentally ill, homeless sex worker, three populations that are considered unimportant and, when murdered, considered less dead. 
There was no chance anyone would report this man missing or even notice he wasn't around, which I blame on systemic failures, not his family. There's a horrible term for murderers, murders of the less dead in the law enforcement community that I know for a fact every true crime nut knows, but I also know for a fact is overreported and not used very often. NHI, no humans involved. The mentally ill, homeless, and sex workers are humans. I can't believe we have to actually say that. Dean's face lit up when he talked about his daughter, and he hoped to someday be in a stable enough condition to have a better relationship with her. He sometimes sent his mother cards expressing how much he loved and appreciated her. He is believed to have been murdered in April 2016. Selim Essen. Selim was 44 years old and moved from Turkey to Canada in 2013. He disappeared from the village in April 2017. He spoke to his best friend every day and was reported missing when he didn't respond to a text. He managed a cafe, had a passion for sociology and philosophy, and was generous and selfless with his friends. The murderer kept one of Selim's notebooks as a trophy. Andrew Kinsman. Andrew went missing from the village in June 2017 at the age of 49. He was extremely active in the queer community and his disappearance was extremely noticeable. Rumors of a serial killer in the village finally started to solidify. It was Andrew's disappearance that prompted the police to finally pay attention to the village's missing men. His sister said, He wanted to make the world a better place for those struggling to survive. He was an activist for social justice issues and very much missed. He is believed to have been murdered on June 26, 2017. When the police arrested the killer on January 18, 2018, it was prompted by their recognizance officers seeing a man entering the killer's apartment. There was originally some debate about whether they had probable cause to go after him, but they said there was no real chance they wouldn't go in. They would rather risk the case being thrown out on the basis of a wrongful arrest than sit in a car and allow a potential victim to hang out with a suspected serial killer. And there is no room for debate that that man was intended to be the ninth victim. The killer's computer contained nine file folders, eight labeled with his, vi his victims' names and containing gruesome photos of them, and a single empty file labeled with the would-be victim's name. So, the killer's name is Bruce McArthur. He was a landscaper, and he, he hid his victims' bodies in planters in a property he worked on. And I followed this case from the instant that the news media picked up on it, and it just got more and more horrible as more evidence was revealed. It was pretty terrifying. I'm not going to give most of the information because I don't want to give him a lot of time on this. Um, definitely don't want to give him as much time as I gave his victims. If you want to Google him, you can do it. It's bad, you guys, just so you know. He had actually had a lot of prior run-ins with the police. He had a domestic I think he was convicted for a domestic assault with like a pipe in 2003. He uh, was questioned in a lot of assault cases. He was actually brought in and questioned about the disappearances, but only as a potential witness. He was never considered as a possible murderer uh, in a strange, awful incident reminiscent of Jeffrey Dahmer, another serial killer. One of MacArthur's would-be victims escaped and reported to the police that MacArthur had invited him into his van to have sex, but then 
tried to strangle him. The police decided this man's story wasn't credible and no action was taken. But as far as I know, this former friend of MacArthur wasn't one of the victims. MacArthur was well known in the gay village, and many believe his murders were the result of the fact that the LGBT community is included in the list of the less dead. Bruce MacArthur pled guilty and was sentenced to life with. For those who aren't insanely involved in the true crime community like I am, life with is short for life with the possibility of parole. So this garbage is 67 and will certainly die in prison, but his actions still were worthy of giving him the chance to be let out in 25 years. He definitely won't be around to take advantage of that, but I find the principle of it to be upsetting. So that's all the publicity I'm going to give Bruce MacArthur on this podcast. He preyed on people he thought were less than and wouldn't be missed. He preyed on refugees looking for safety. He preyed on husbands and fathers. He preyed on his friends and lovers. This is a family-friendly podcast in terms of cursing, so I'm having a hard time right now, people, let me tell you. I get so fired up about this kind of thing because I know we're already preyed upon by all sorts of people. We don't have to be preyed upon by serial killers as well. We already have a hard enough time with huge numbers of our community being murdered simply for being who they are. We don't need to be preyed on by people we thought were friends. And that really upsets me. And I honestly, guys, I don't know what to do about it. You know, it's one of those things that what can we do? All we can really do right now until people learn to just stop killing each other is to hold each other up, be each other's friends, uh, let each other know that we're there, and be safe together, I think. We can't be safe on our own anymore, it seems like, and we want to be safe with you because you are important and you are making history just by being who you are and we are.